This is Dina Weiss for Hadar on Parashat Behar. Just joking. In this week's Parsha, the Torah explicitly and unequivocally prohibits exploitative behavior or shady practices in financial transactions. When you buy or sell merchandise from your fellow, a person shall not exploit his brother. The rabbis understand this prohibition as relating to these softer crimes of overcharging and exploiting a potential business partner's lack of knowledge because the Torah already prohibits theft and outright lying. The Torah then repeats the prohibition on exploitative practices three verses later. This enables the rabbis to understand that the prohibition on this type of behavior extends beyond the realm of the strictly monetary and into all realms of interpersonal interaction and discourse. The rabbis emphasize that even when there is no financial harm which can be litigated in court, hurting someone else's feelings is just as grave a sin. Understanding the contours of the type of offense that is prohibited here can help us gain insight into what it means to truly take the feelings of others into account and can enable us to become more aware and sensitive people. The source for the prohibition on painful speech is in the Talmud in Bava Mitzia. Lo tonu ishetamito, ve'onaat devarim hakatuv medaber. Haketzan, im haya bal tshuva al yomarlo, zechor masach harishonim. Im haya ben gerim al yomarlo, zechor masavotecha. Im haya ger ubalamotara al yomarlo, pesha chana ve'lot utrefot shekatzim urimasim, balamotara shena marmi piagvura. Rabbi <laughs> A person shall not exploit their fellow. In this verse, the Torah is speaking about exploitative speech. How does this manifest? 1. If one is a penitent, another should not say to them, Remember your prior deeds. 2. If one is the child of converts, another should not say to them, Remember the deeds of your ancestors. 3. If one is a convert themselves and is coming to study Torah, another should not say to them, The mouth that ate non-kosher foods is now coming to study Torah, which was spoken from the mouth of the Almighty. 4. If one is experiencing suffering, another should not respond as insensitively as Eov's friends did when they said, Isn't your fear your foolishness? your hope in the perfection of your ways? Remember now who is clean and has been destroyed. 5. If there were donkey drivers asking him for feed, he should not say to them, go to so-and-so who sells feed, when he knows that that person has never sold. 6. Rabbi Huna says, he shouldn't even look 
too much at merchandise at a time that he doesn't have money. And this is something that only the heart knows. And about anything that only the heart knows, it is said, you should fear your God. The Talmud here gives six examples of onatavari, painful or oppressive speech. The last two are clear extensions of the respectful business practices that monetary prohibitions on ona'a are designed to reinforce. They teach, don't steal someone's time by giving them misinformation about whether or not you are a customer or someone else is a relevant merchant. However, the first examples of onatavarim, such as reminding someone of their status as a convert or baal tshuva, don't fit neatly as extensions of exploitative business practices. First, though these statements are cruel, they are in no way misleading. In these cases, one person highlights the lower status of another, but it does not appear that the person of lower status is being taken advantage of in any way. If the prohibitions on cruel speech are so broad, why include them under the framework of ona'a? Though the violations look quite different, there is a strong link between the financial and verbal manifestations of ona'a. The perpetrator is in possession of a similar mindset regardless of the type of ona'a they engage in, and there is a similar impact on the heart of the victim. We can see this through Rabbeinu Bahia's explanation of why ona'a of this type is so terrible and so dangerous. ואם הוא אומר, ומי יודע אם נתכוונתי לרעה? לכך נאמר, ויראת מאלוהיך. A person should not exploit their fellow, and you shall fear your God. This verse refers to exploitative language. A person should not antagonize their fellow or give them inappropriate advice. And our rabbis of blessed memory said, all of the gates of prayer can be closed except for the gates of exploitation. And the reason why these gates stay open is that the exploited person is exceedingly upset and is distressed, and his heart is subsumed by his sorrow. And he prays out of his worry with intention, and he is heard. And if the exploiter says to himself, who will know if I intended harm? Therefore it says, and you shall fear your God. In his commentary, Rabbeinu Bachya highlights two dimensions of ona'a. First, how it affects the victims in a uniquely terrible way. And then, despite of this, how the perpetrator might still be able to interpret his own behavior charitably. The problem with ona'a, of both the financial and the merely verbal type, is that in either situation there is plausible deniability on the part of the person who does it. When the perpetrator asks, who will know if I intended harm? She is reflecting that her behavior is not clearly wrong to an outside observer. 
How is another person supposed to know whether I am intentionally giving bad advice? Maybe I don't know what the market value is of the item and that's why I'm overcharging. Maybe I am trying to be complimentary when I refer to the past of a Baal Tshuva. I'm letting everyone know how far this person has come. The act of Ona'a is so subtle and slight that it can go by unnoticed. More significantly, this behavior might even be undetectable to the person who engages in it themselves. A person might ask themselves the question of whether or not they intended to hurt their friend and conclude, it's not like I meant any harm. We can delude ourselves into thinking that if a comment isn't designed to be hurtful or isn't obviously harmful, then it must be okay. We can cite the no offense defense. That is, if I didn't mean to offend you, then you should not be offended. If I didn't mean anything by my comment, or I meant it to be funny, especially if I meant it to be kind or helpful, then I'm not responsible for the effect that my words had. However, the laws of Ona'a and Ona'at Devarim focus on the outcome for the victim. If they were cheated or they were hurt, then the person who caused them that pain is responsible. The absence of malintent does not absolve us when we cause harm. This understanding of the mindset of the perpetrator of Ona'a is highlighted in Rabbeinu Bachya's first insight into why Ona'at Varim is so bad. It can have a uniquely harmful psychological effect on its target. Because the perpetrator can plausibly deny that they have done anything wrong, the victim might be led to blame themselves for feeling hurt or disenfranchised. A person might second-guess themselves, saying, maybe I deserve this bad price because I'm not a savvy shopper, or maybe I don't deserve to grow in learning because I come from a non-Jewish background. A person might deny their own legitimate feelings and criticize themselves as being oversensitive. This possibility is reinforced by the way Rabbeinu Bachya characterizes the bad feelings of someone who suffers on account of Ona'a. His heart is subsumed by sorrow can be more literally translated as his heart is submissive on account of his sorrow, meaning that he subjects himself to the Ona'a narrative and submits to its power to corrode his own sense of self and his dignity. Rabbeinu Bachya also uses another instructive term to describe the distress felt by someone who has been exploited in any way. Machalish da'ato. This language is used throughout the Talmud to refer to someone who experiences profound psychological pain. Significantly, it is used later in Bava Metziah to describe the pain felt by Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan when they make insensitive comments to one another along the lines of Ona'at Devarim. Rishlakish Amar Mishiyatach Tachan Bamayim Amarle Listaa Belisyute Yada Amarle Umaya Hanatli 
Hatam Rabbi Karuli, Hacha Rabbi Karuli. Amarle, Ahanailach, Dakrivanach, Tacha Kanfe Hashrina. Chalash Yochanan, Chalash Rishlakish. Rishlakish had been abandoned, and Rabbi Yochanan taught him how to read the Torah and study Mishnah and made him into an important man in the realm of Torah study. One day there was an argument in the Beit Midrash about the status of the following instruments and whether or not they were considered to be finished tools susceptible to contracting impurity. The sword, the knife, the dagger, the spear, a hand scythe or a harvesting scythe, at what point do they contract impurity? When the work on them is completed. And when is their work completed? Rabbi Yochanan says, when he fires them in the kiln. Rish Lakish says, only after they are cooled in water. Rabbi Yochanan said to him, well, a bandit knows his banditry. Rish Lakish said back to him, and how have you benefited me? There they called me Rav, and here they call me Rav. Rabbi Yochanan said to him, I benefited you by bringing you under the wings of the Shekhinah. Rabbi Yochanan was exceedingly distressed. Chalash Rish Lakish was so distressed that he took ill. Chalash. There does not appear to be any tension between Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish in the story. Before the moment that Rabbi Yochanan says, Abandon knows his banditry. When Rabbi Yochanan made this extremely hurtful comment, reminding this Baal from whence he came, he most likely did not think much of it. He maybe even thought of it as a clever joke. Rishakish presumably does know more about swords and knives as a recovering bandit than he would as a fair-skinned rabbi. Rabbi Yochanan was therefore completely unprepared for Rishakish's defensive comment, a comment sharp enough to sting him in return. Rishlakish and Rabbi Yochanan never reconcile. Rishlakish almost immediately takes his pain to his grave, and Rabbi Yochanan also never recovers from this loss. It is possible to argue that both Rishlakish and Rabbi Yochanan are overreacting, that they both are being too sensitive to comments that were not intended to cause such drastic harm and break up this legendary chavruta. But that is exactly the point. Telling someone to be less sensitive, to learn how to take a joke, does not make them tough, does not prevent hurt feelings. Therefore, it is the responsibility of the person who is about to make the comment to stop themselves first and ask, why am I making that joke or comment at someone else's expense? Am I elevating myself by putting them down? Am I exploiting them for my own gain? In the Sefer HaChinuch's articulation of the prohibition, he puts special emphasis on being sensitive to the feelings of people whom we might feel overly comfortable with. Sometimes we are more likely to justify being insensitive to those whom we are especially close. Rabbi 
וכמה מלכיות מבלי רצועה של עגל יש ביד האדון המצווה על זה. יתעלה יתברך. And this mitzvah, that is the prohibition on ona'ah, is applicable in all places and all times, for both men and women, and it even applies to young children. It is proper to take care not to cause them too much pain on account of what is said to them, and not to speak more harshly than is necessary in order to teach them a lesson. And even the sons and daughters, the members of a person's household, one who is gentle with them in these matters, so as not to cause them pain, will find blessing and honor. And one who violates this and hurts his friend verbally in the way that our sages of blessed memory articulated, like speaking insensitively to a penitent or an ill person, violates the prohibition. But they do not receive lashes because speaking is not a concrete act. But how many lashes can the master of this mitzvah, may he be elevated and blessed, administer on this account even without a whip of leather. Parents are accustomed to having to speak frankly to their children, pointing out their shortcomings in order to guide them to improved behavior. And the closest families often engage in some light making fun of family members for one foible or another. But we have to consider everyone's feelings in every context, even those we think we could never hurt. We have to listen carefully when we make a joke. Is the subject of the joke laughing too? Or are we targeting our loved ones and using our love and closeness as an excuse to treat them poorly? Ona'atarim is so dangerous because it is so ubiquitous and so easy to justify, but that does not make it truly justifiable. It makes it even more pernicious and something we need to work harder to root out of our interactions with one another. When we feel inclined to accuse someone else of being oversensitive, let's ask ourselves instead, am I being sensitive enough? Wishing you a Shabbat of truly loving laughter. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Debray Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.